more of the sport market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. You often hear us talking about the fact that lawyers will be paid in the business of sport. And of course, that remains a, a, a real truism. But this past week, accountants have been paid. The amount of deliberation that went into the structuring of the Shohei Otani contract, absolutely incredible from an accounting point of view, from a tax deferral point of view. Not only the Dodgers deferring the luxury tax from the team side of things, but Shohei Otani deferring his bigger tax payment until 10 years from now when he begins earning the remainder of the $680 million that isn't covered in the 10 years at $2 million. It's a perfect way for us to set up a look at some franchises worth 10 figures. The Billion Dollar Club. The Los Angeles Dodgers are the second richest franchise in all of Major League Baseball, behind only the pinstripes, behind only the New York Yankees. Forbes has them pegged at $4.8 billion U.S. in franchise value. Now, the interesting thing is you dig a little bit deeper on the Forbes assessment. Sport drives about $558 million of that $4 billion uh, valuation. Uh, the market of Los Angeles, the second largest media market in, in North America, uh, drives $2.45 billion. And their stadium at Chavez Ravine uh, drives about uh, $1.06 billion in revenue. But the single biggest difference outside of market size between the LA Dodgers and the Toronto Blue Jays is in brand. And it's the value of a heritage brand. Make no mistake, Rogers has a very valuable asset in the Toronto Blue Jays brand. It's a Canadian heritage brand, as John Festinger put it last week on on our show. And you've got to look at internationally. There's no question the Dodgers had something that the Blue Jays couldn't compete with. And that is a brand worth $731 million dollars. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays brand, according to Forbes, is valued at $252 million. So the LA Dodgers, obviously part of the Billion Dollar Club, as are the Toronto Blue Jays. But on this one, the Heritage brand won out. And it'll be very interesting to see how things pan out. There's a lot of risk-reward here at play on the Shohei Otani contract. Rick Horro is the sports professor. He is a visiting sport business expert from university, and he is also a dyed-in-the-wool Miami Dolphins fan. You can only imagine the pain that he went through in the last two minutes last week when the Dolphins coughed up a 14-point lead against the Tennessee Titans, Titans going for the jugular and coming away with the one-point victory. I've never seen anything like that. Obviously, I think it's what almost 800 times that scenario has prevented has presented itself a 14-point lead with uh, a couple of minutes left to go and I think this is the first time that the team that was leading uh wound up losing. Yeah, well, listen, it's uh we're I'm trying to get that out of my head heading into the weekend, but uh it, it's they're still in the lead of the division. Uh the big deal is the Jets. Uh, they're exposed as a lesser team without Tyreek Hill playing. Uh, they shouldn't have given up that uh, that uh, two-point conversion uh, after they cut it from 14 then to what it was six. And, you know, if and then and all of those issues. But at the end of the day, uh, 
it was one of the worst collapses in history. Everybody's owned up to it. And, you know, that's unfortunately the beauty and the curse of the NFL, whether you're on the winning side or the losing side. It's, it, unless you're the Chargers, it's never over until it's over. Mike McDaniels, you know, very early in his career, but obviously some real bona fides, uh, some real credentials. Uh, what's his reputation locally among Dolphins Nation? Uh, is he viewed the same way as one of the real, you know, cerebral, great, young, up-and-coming coaches in the league? Is he, does he carry that locally as well? We hold the, the uh, coaches to the highest standard, having, you know, Don Shula won most winning most of his games here in two Super Bowls and perfection. Uh, he is the the next uh, stable coach. We, we had, we, we've gone through Wanstead and Jimmy Johnson and some of the other guys that are, you know, big names but didn't really work here, Nick Saban. And so this is the opportunity for him to come in and embrace. And uh, they had a terrible December last year. They lost five in a row. Uh, at eight and three, uh, and now uh, they're in a situation where you know they've got to win uh, against the Jets, or or everybody's starting to expect the worst. Then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But they have incredible weapons, and uh, again, the beauty of the league is you know by Tuesday or Wednesday you're on to the next week. We're talking to Rick Horro, the sport professor. You can follow him on X, uh, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, at Rick Horro, R-I-C-K-H-O-R-R-O-W, regularly contributor to the sport market on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rick, let's stay with the National Football League and the bronze medal story on our podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Uh, the NFL TV ratings continue to be strong for the sixth time. Uh, NBC is north of 25 million viewers. Philadelphia against Dallas draws an average U.S. national audience of 26.3 million. Uh, it peaked at 30 million uh, average, uh, uh, 30 million uh, audience late in the in the in the game. Uh, this is one of the best TV years that the NFL has had in 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 more than a decade, and in some in indicators, more than two decades. What do you think are the primary drivers of that level of fan engagement this season? Well, you could say a lot. I don't think it is. I, I think the schedule has been very kind to the NFL. Uh, I think the Thursday night Amazon games, people are to, in a rush to give them the, the, the best matchups possible as opposed to not acceptable ones for Thursday nights. And, of course, the flex schedule now comes into play for the last month. So it's even going to be better. And, you know, there's more, there's more parity as well. When you thought of all the teams were 6-6, 5-7, 7-5 up until last week, uh, there are incredible uh, high number of those teams. And then, as usual, the playoffs uh, won't come down, will, will come down in the last week. And the NFL's scheduling magic being the last two weeks, you have those intra-division rivalries which makes the uh, the games even sweeter. What's your take on the first ever Monday Night Football flex where the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Philadelphia Eagles uh, took over from where the uh, New England Patriots were, were supposed to be? Uh, it's the first time ever there's been a Monday Night Football flex. Uh, your take? Yeah, well, that that's exactly kind of what I'm talking about, too. The, 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 the flex on, on Monday night really 
really matters as well because now you have people who are changing their plans at the last minute and and uh you know roger goodell and and his staff are always concerned about the fans but uh it's just a one-day change for people they're still going to play at home just a day later and uh, when you think about it it's just so much more of an attractive game that you understand the flex for mondays and uh you know it's going to be even more now because my suspicion is the flex will be successful and then the more successful it is the easier it's going to be for the next one and the next one rick one of the other stories we're following on our podium this week and it's another uh, football story in part uh, it's also a basketball story uh, it's really a north american professional sport story and that is state financing uh, uh, other levels of government chipping in to make these uh, uh, pleasure palaces happen for you know billionaire owners there really is a proliferation right now of stadium construction projects stadium renovation of course uh, uh, you've got the uh, baltimore ravens uh, looking to receive 430 million dollars of state funding for those stadium uh, upgrades uh, you've got the okc thunder with a 900 million dollar uh, almost fully publicly financed um uh, home for the OKC Thunder, uh, only $50 million coming in from ownership there. And they've got your Chicago Bears, uh, seven cities vying to potentially displace the downtown option of Soldier Field. Uh, we're going here in the current political environment, the current economic environment. Will there always be that just collapsible desire of, of, of politicians to keep assets like NFL teams and put this kind of money forward? Because I, I was hoping that we'd see a lot more private funding and a lot bigger share of the pie coming from the owners themselves and from the private sector. Well, look, it's a complicated issue. And I spent, you know, 30 years of my life in the middle of all that for the NFL. So I understand the distinctions. A lot of these cases, I would admit, uh, are more public money than any city deserves. In some cases, the team should have uh, gotten more public money than they got. Uh, it's a case-by-case case in, in many ways. Uh, Washington uh, Wizards slash Capitals, Leonsis, is attempting to do a real estate play south of the city, and he's going to put much more private money into his deal. The Bears will leverage the seven-city deal, as you mentioned, into more public money, than before. I worked on the first Oklahoma City referendum in 30 years ago, almost to the day, that ended up getting funding for the arena that lured the Sonics to Oklahoma City in the first place. And now it's a 50-year through 2050, and we understand that it's largely public money in a relatively small community like Oklahoma City. The taxpayers approved it 71%. So this is not something that was forced down their throats. And then the Baltimores and some of the other cities, there are these public-private partnerships that are happening. Uh, a lot of it's timing. You know, when we did our deals 25 years ago, the leases were about to expire or uh, on the old kind of round stadiums, and we did the new ones with 20, 25-year leases. And guess what? They're expiring now, and that's why you see a lot of this stuff happening. So it's 25 Uh, 30-year cycles, and we're, you know, fresh into the next one. We're talking to the sport professor, Rick Horrow. He's a visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. You can reach him on Twitter, slash X, 
at Rick Horro. Rick, let's just shift to the biggest sport business story of the week. It's a global story, a North American story, and obviously a huge baseball story. Shohei Otani is now a Los Angeles Dodger. Bring us up to date. We didn't have a chance to check in with you last week. Bring us up to date with what you think really defines how big this transaction is, not just for Major League Baseball, but for North American sport, and quite frankly, for leagues and players associations right across the board. Well, the $700 million has been the top story, but it's, it's more than that. It's the, it's the kind of, of payment that the rich have teams are able to put on the table and other traditional uh, cable uh, large volume television networks couldn't begin to do. You know, when you realize that on a yearly basis, basically $2 million is salary and all of the rest of it each year is deferred. He makes it up by endorsements. He didn't want to pay taxes right now. He gets it long term. On a present value basis, it's only $450 million only. We're not holding a bank sale for him. But at the end of the day, the terms define this deal. So there are very few superstars that can demand this and very few cities, uh, teams that have the flexibility and ability to pull it off. So, so while you know, there is deferral in some of these uh, contracts, it will continue to be, uh, this doesn't signal a widespread macro deferral for everything in the back end. You know, Nez Bilello of CAA, of course, uh, handled these negotiations for Shohei Otani. They were, uh, you know, defined by how closed door and secretive they were, which I think you have to be on this kind of a deal. Uh, and, and, and obviously they've got their accountants working on all of it. But did it surprise you? I mean, it certainly surprised me, but it surprised you that Shohei Otani had the sort of uh, capacity for taking on this much risk because when you defer $680 million of your $700 million deal, uh, economic conditions can change. There can be inflation. The money he's being paid at the back end could be worth a lot less than the dollars of today. Did that catch you off guard or is that just a statement as to how confident, powerful, and multidimensional Shohei Otani is as a revenue-producing machine? A little bit of that. But also the idea of, uh, you know, a lot of this money uh, goes into a, a trust fund uh, that is available, so there's no danger of bankruptcy or, or non-liquidity. And the issue of present value uh, always comes into contracts. So this is a, a, a classic economic lesson in what present value really means to someone who uh, doesn't need it now, I guess you could argue, and part of the I want that number. I want that figure. The terms are going to define it. Uh, I understand that he was comfortable, you know, not just in uh, in doing it this way, but uh, allowing for the Dodgers to throw some payroll money elsewhere on a current basis. And also he makes up a lot of it uh, in endorsements as well. So uh, it's a win-win for him uh, and win-win for the Dodgers. Rick, we've got you for another 90 seconds. Uh, your thoughts on John Rom? We're talking about, 
you know, 460 million to 700 million, depending on how you define it with Shohei Otani, uh, those are John Rom dollars, <laughs> you know, when it comes to uh, uh, what P, uh, PIF and, and, and the Live Golf Series prepared to pay him. What's the fallout here and how much of an impact will or how much attention should we be paying to the strategic sports group and the uh, investors that have, you know, indicated they're prepared to work with the PGA Tour going forward? Well, let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. This uh, magical December 31st deadline, the strategic sports guys are a who's who in ownership. You know, Tom Ricketts and Atanasio and Warner and, and uh, the Fenway Sports Group. And so even if they invest on the PGA Tour revenue side, they'll still never be able to outspend the sovereign wealth fund. And the Saudis basically said, you know, we're going to show you that we can go turn John Rahm around with these dollars right before the deadline is over. And so I think at the end of the day, uh, the Saudis will be in the middle of this process no matter what, and John Rahm still gets his $300 million. Rick, as always, we so appreciate those perspectives. Uh, thanks a lot for taking time out of your weekend to be with us, and we'll uh, check in with you again same time, same bat channel next week. Absolutely, my friend. Have a good weekend. He is the biggest Miami Dolphins fan in the world. <laughs> he is Rick Horro, the sport professor. Uh, hopefully things work out a little bit better for the Dolphins this weekend than they did last. Next up, it's Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun and the Post Media Network. What's next for Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, and the Toronto Blue Jays after losing out in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes? That's next right here as we continue to rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sport Market Radio Network and the Sportsnet Radio Network.